show, Hiba. Thank you, Megan. I would, I'm so excited to introduce you. Um, what a great value that you and your firm will bring to our association, Hiba Amber. She's actually a partner with Erickson Immigration Group, named one of the top immigration attorneys for startups, Business Insider. Your practice's focus is on employment-based non-immigration visa and green card process, as well as I-9 compliance. We'll be excited to learn a lot about that. <laughs> and you also lead an international team that manages clients in a variety of industries, obviously esports, e-commerce, investment, education, oncology, to name a few areas. You advise corporate clients on complex immigration matters that result from corporate restructuring, including mergers, acquisitions, and reductions in air force, or in, in team force, not air force. So um, welcome to the show and welcome to the organization. We're so glad to have you. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you found the Esports Trade Association, what your journey has been to be the first um, immigration and or just attorney, um, you know, and obviously you're, um, you, you, you've got a great story coming all the way from Pakistan. And uh, we're really excited to hear about, you know, your passion and what you've done and what you're continuing to do. Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, thank you again um, for uh, chatting with me today. And I would, you know, I would love to share my story. Um, I am um, a proud daughter of immigrants, you know, uh, first generation born in the United States. Both of my parents are from uh, uh, Pakistan, Pakistan. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, um, and as we kind of discussed before, before today's episode, um, I am the first attorney uh, in my family's history on both my dad's side and my mom's side. Um, you know, I think that a lot of folks who are born to immigrant parents will probably relate to this, but uh, growing up first generation, sometimes you feel like you have one foot in one world uh, and the other in another world. And so it gives you a very unique perspective. Uh, in my case, I felt like it uh, helped me be a bit more empathetic to mm. people who perhaps had fewer resources or, you know, less knowledge, less access. And um, one thing that I realized, uh, I think I, I was senior year of college, so maybe a little late in the game, but one thing that just really kind of hit me was if there are things that I don't like about the system, uh, the best way to make a difference um, you know, and change the system uh, is to first understand the system. So that was really kind of my um, motivation for wanting to become a lawyer. I hate bullies. Um, mm. I hate that there are some people who get treated differently. Uh, and, you know, long story short, it was a lot of those kind of like sentiments that led me to my decision to become a lawyer. Once I um, graduated law school. And when I was in the process of identifying which area of law I wanted to focus on, the reason I ended up choosing immigration law is because, in my opinion, it is a extremely complete and diverse area of law. So, for example, if uh, an attorney wants to focus on more business-oriented or transactional matters, 
you can do employment-based immigration. If you want to work more closely with individuals, you can do family-based immigration. If you want to do something that is a bit more philanthropic or humanitarian, you can work with um, asylum cases and you can help refugees or you know, uh, victims of human trafficking or crimes or domestic violence. If you are the type of lawyer who wants to go to court, you can do that. If you are the type of lawyer who wants to litigate via written advocacy, you can do that. Uh, and then the other thing that I really like about it is it is uniform in all 50 states because it's federal law. So it did also offer a certain degree of freedom. Uh, so I, I chose immigration law as a result, and I have been doing it for the vast majority of my career. Wow. Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, you're, you know, you said something about having your your foot or in or your feet in two worlds. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Um, and, you know, touch more upon that. What, tell me, tell me more about that. Cause that was, that's very interesting. So I can only speak from my specific perspective and based on my story. Right. But, you know, you kind of grow up knowing that even though you're an American born and raised in the United States, you're not 100% like the others because they don't necessarily view you as one of them, you know? Mm. I mean, first you have very kind of like visual and visible differences, right? As a person of color, you know, your skin color is different, your hair is different. Um, and then also, you know, um, coming from a family where your parents are, are immigrants, the language spoken, uh, you know, in your house is different. When my mother would send me to school and would pack my lunch, I mean, I wasn't getting peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I was getting kebabs, you know, and naan because that's what we ate the night before. And those are the leftovers that I was taking to school. And of course, the kids in school would be like, well, what's that? You know, or if we're playing outside on the street, um, you know, if my mom was going to come call me inside, you know, to tell me that it was time to come inside, she wasn't shouting at me in English. She was definitely shouting at me in Urdu, which is our native language. And obviously the kids would be like, ah, ha, ha, you know, like it's just something different. I mean, kids tease and they, you know, they react in their own very kind of like innocent way to differences. You know, as a child of immigrants, as a minority, you are taught very early on that you in some instances are different. And so that's one reason you feel like you have one foot in one world and one foot in the other. And then I think the other part of it is immigrant parents, or at least my immigrant parents, they're trying to do the best that they can for their children in whatever way they know how. And the only way they know how is what they were taught back in a completely different country, in a completely different society. And so as a result, they're just like, well, this is what we do. You know, this is what you should do because this is how we were taught, right? And sometimes that is a little different, you know? Um, and the rules that apply to you then become different. And so as a result, you feel like you're straddling two different worlds, you know? Um, small example, my father was very strict. He was very conservative. And I was not allowed to uh, attend any sort of like school event, no dances, 
no high school football games, no after school clubs, you know, nothing like that. Uh, and, you know, for someone kind of listening to that, it sounds probably very harsh because that's very much a part of a complete academic experience. From my immigrant father's perspective, when it comes to your daughters, you protect them, you know, you keep them in the house. And he was just doing like the best that he could based on what he knew. Uh, so, you know, differences like that. I think, right. I think that these newer generations, I mean, when I look at my cousins who are, you know, barely 10 years younger, their experience is already different than mine. But yeah, you know, you, you sometimes do feel like you are either on the outside. You also sometimes feel like you have to abide by a completely different set of rules. And it makes you kind of in like this middle ground, this weird gray area, you know? That really helps for people that don't understand what it's like to be first generation, regardless, you know, what your journey was, you know, nobody would ever think my mom was first generation. Nobody would ever, ever, you know, I look like a white American, right. And, you know, so, so when, 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 um, you know, when, when people learn that my grandparents didn't even read or drive, it's like, they scratch their head when they look at my grandparents, but, you know, I remember growing up and, and, and that was one of the, you know, her parents that it is what it, it was, what it was, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that for me having a deeper understanding of culture, it was very rich because my, they were very, 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 very poor and, um, you know, had really interesting lifestyle. Um, compared to my father's parents. Sure. Just almost like the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm not sure if you've ever read it, but. I haven't, but I think book. it just goes to show that you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, people are a lot deeper than just like their outward facing, exactly. you know, immutable characteristics. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so that was great. So what, you know, like a couple things, like what has, why esports? I mean, it's, it's such a, it's so perfect. And, um, I, you know, I would just love to hear your attraction to that, you know, community besides the globe, the global, you know, obvious answer. Yeah, definitely. So, um, in terms of kind of like my journey towards discovering the esports industry, it happened very much as a result of my work, you know, my job, um, we represent corporate clients, as you mentioned, and, um, we are fortunate enough to represent um, certain, you know, uh, esports companies. And um, going into the kind of partner, vendor, attorney, client relationship, I literally knew nothing about esports. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. And so, you know, I had, like I said, the good fortune to work with some clients. And even in that, attorney-client relationship, I only learned about the companies to the extent that I needed to for purposes of supporting their employer-sponsored immigration cases. So taking a step back, as I'm sure you're aware, if a company wants to bring a a foreign-born employee over to the United States for purposes of working, 
then there are a number of immigration, you know, non-immigrant visas that they can file on that uh, foreign employee's behalf. And that is, in a nutshell, the work that we do. You know, we support companies in their employer-sponsored immigration cases. Um, so going back to what I was saying, uh, the knowledge that I gained about these esports companies was really kind of focused on what do I need to know and understand in order to provide um, um, appropriate legal support right. to the corporate client in the form of an individual employee filing. And then... Uh, this was about maybe three or four years ago. I was just randomly like browsing Netflix and I came upon a documentary, um, which I can't remember in terms of the title, but I do distinctly recall that the that particular docuseries episode focused on the League of Legends esports tournaments and kind of gave viewers a behind-the-scenes look at um, the tournaments, the competitions, and in that documentary, they made references to like the number of viewers, you know, that that kind of watched the competitions and how popular it was, you know, around the world. And I think you know there was some mention of like Rick Fox owning a team or something like that, and it was like, you know, I didn't realize. I think it was then that I realized how established and popular and large of a thing it was. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I had just been like living under a rock. I'm, I'm, I'm old, you know, I don't do fun things anymore. I work a lot. And so like, I was just like literally like blown away. And I think it was just kind of like really, really eye-opening because like I said, having no knowledge of you know the esports industry i just found it super super fascinating and i think the reason that i was even more impacted by learning more about uh the esports industry and getting a little bit more of a glimpse was because our practice as mentioned represents esports clients and i i just had like a different context like a different perspective uh in terms of like these you know um cases that i was working on so that, you know, that definitely was the beginning of this interest, you know, not to say that I wasn't um, interested in the clients prior to that, but that was the beginning of the int interest in, I would say, just the industry as a whole, right? Um, and then I, you know, just kind of like through the years in, you know, um, observing the esports industry more closely by and through like the work that we do, what really, really started to fascinate me was the important and very kind of impactful role that immigration law plays within the esports industry, which I think not a lot of people realize, you know? So this is a industry that is extremely global in nature from what I can tell. And we're talking about, you know, players from around the world, competitions that are taking place around the world, um, you know, companies that maybe have offices around the world, right? But COVID, I think, in particular, has completely changed the way that, you know, esports companies and, you know, leaders and stakeholders navigate you know, international travel restrictions and requirements, particularly when it comes to competitions, you know, 
because as a result of COVID, you can have a set of restrictions that apply to folks coming from one country that are completely different from the set of restrictions that apply to players coming from another country. And players from both countries need to attend the same tournament, you know? So from an immigration perspective, navigating that and making sure that you're providing adequate and also real-time support in a tournament-style industry where the roster is changing and the outcome is constantly changing has been an amazing and extremely fascinating learning experience for me personally. Yeah, I would imagine. And what what I what why I found this 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 podcast particularly interesting is I could see an immigration attorney working for a large team or a large company when when you got awarded top women in startups i mean talk about navigation now do, is that esports startups as well uh no that was not specific to esports um okay. just you know startup companies in a variety of different industries and sectors and yeah it was it was quite an honor i'm still very kind of oh and that's just humbled by that for sure. It's such a testament to your work because I always think like if you can work in startups and be on the ground floor and navigate that and be awarded to that, you can almost do anything. <laughs> it, it, it is definitely a, a different set of requirements and considerations when you're working with a startup company that's like a little less established. Sure. So yeah, you do end up uh, offering, you know, kind of like a different like type of support in some instances. Yes. So yeah. that Yeah, that says a lot about, you know, your just your value system, probably, um, as when you're taking on a client. So oh, tell you. Oh, yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about um, who here in the Esports Trade Association would hire you? Where where are you a perfect fit? Oh, um, I mean, I think that it would probably be either a company uh, uh, that actually creates the game on which some of these like tournaments are based, or it could be a team that wants to participate in a, a, a competition or a tournament for two kind of like very different reasons, right? So- okay. If you're a company, regardless of whether you are in the esports industry or any other, you know, industry, at some point, if you want to hire foreign talent, um, you're going to need immigration support in order to bring that uh, candidate uh, into the United States, or alternatively, transfer that candidate from one country to another. In some instances, bypassing the United States altogether, depending on whether or not you're a global you know, company. And then from a team perspective, if you are um, wanting to travel to a location to participate in a tournament, then, you know, chances are you're going to need some form of immigration in order to be able to enter that country, you know? And then from there, it gets even more complicated, you know? If your team consists of a diverse, you know, player roster, 
then the requirements to gain entry in any given country may depend on everything from that player's country of birth to where that player is currently located. And it could, you know, differ in terms of whether or not they need like a visitor visa or another type of visa, whether or not they can enter visa free, whether or not they have to quarantine for a certain number of days upon entry. I mean, it gets sometimes very nuanced um, in this post-COVID universe. So uh, I would say teams and companies would be the top two. Um, we have, however, been fortunate enough to provide assistance to influencers, you know, members of the media, um, and, you know, uh, that sort of thing as well. So um, I think that's actually a good question um, because it kind of goes to the intersectionality of immigration law and the esports industry, right? Like, no matter how unique the need, be it the company, the team, the coach, the player, the influencer, the reporter, the support staff, the logistical staff, because esports uh, tournaments are so global in nature, you know, you're going to have to probably um, identify a very um, a nuanced and specific immigration uh, strategy, you know, depending on who you are, where you're from, where you're living. And that to me is kind of like the most fascinating aspect of how immigration plays a role with esports. It is fascinating. Um, and I would imagine having one lawyer represent that, like for a team, wouldn't be as practical as having just say, Erickson be part of your team's outsourcing. It would almost seem smarter to have an outsourced firm, i.e. hire you versus hiring an immigration lawyer to be in-house. It just, uh, like outsourcing is the way of the future. I'm seeing people outsourcing their accounting. I'm seeing people outsourcing their bookkeeping. So why not outsource your immigration navigation with your company that am i onto something there is that right i think that it really depends on what works best for the for the for the individual and or kind of party that we're talking about right there are some great firms out there that very much specialize excuse me um in legal support for esports companies and then there are some firms out there who specialize in, you know, the law when it comes to different countries, you know? So yeah. I think it's not necessarily like one size fits all. I think that, you know, companies should make a decision based on kind of the, the fact pattern that they're dealing with, right? So if they're dealing with immigration support needed for just like their in company employees, you know, maybe they need like an engineer, maybe they need like a, you know, a developer, product manager, that may be one kind of solution versus if the company needs support in order to travel abroad, participate in a tournament or, you know, something of that nature, they may want to work with folks that are on the ground. So I think that it's not necessarily like one size fits all. Right. Okay. And you are, so when should we, 
you know, or our members or our community community call you. I mean, <laughs> I, I know you're leading a department. I, I know you're, I know, I, I believe you have a team behind you. So when, you know, when should we call you? I mean, honestly, um, anytime, you know, um, y- you know, the members have a question about, um, either anything that has to do with immigration or international travel, I would say, because I feel like international travel in particular is so unpredictable right now. There are so many rumors, reports, changes, nuances. Um, There are so many changes that are now going into effect just as a result of like the recent variant. And it can be very difficult not only to keep track of all of the changes, but also navigate the impact that those changes have on our ability to enter certain countries. So yeah, I would say definitely when it comes to like international travel, and then obviously if anybody wants to hire an employee that was born in a foreign country that needs company sponsorship, right? that really is kind of like our area of expertise when it comes to our firm. And that, that is really great to know um, that that's what you represent. And you, you know, you have such a heart for, I could just, I could just feel that you just have such a heart for service. And um, obviously bullying has been a huge topic in esports. Um, and there's been, there, there's been so many companies that have worked on um, our, the bullying and the anti-bullying initiative. Um, so it's really great that you're behind that. What do you know? And, you know, I just bring this up and I know we didn't talk about this, but what about international players rights? You know, there's a lot of um, competition. Do you know anything on on that topic of just making sure um, young players are safe on a, on a global level? Do you do anything with that? I, I don't even know if anybody does, but when I just think about, I mean, if you just think about America and, you know, young athletes that are encouraged to drop out of high school and go straight to college and play basketball, you know, um, I'm just wondering if any, you know, if there's representation for these very, very, very young global players. Uh, you know, Megan, I honestly don't know. Like I said, I'm very much learning about the esports industry. And that is, I think, a facet that I know nothing about, (laughs) so wouldn't be able to, you know, intelligently comment on that. But boy, you know, I mean, these are, these are things that it is such an untouched industry in so many ways. There's so much opportunity and we're, we love having, you know, firms like yours and advocates like yourself come to really help navigate through certain situations, you know, how do I hire somebody from say Japan and get them here and have them, you know, a wonderful employee. And that's what, you know, COVID did. I mean, obviously it's been horrendous. Um, and there's been so much, so much change with the technology we've had like zoom where Mm. people have really bonded with their overseas colleagues. And, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to people that are going, you know, out of the country and I've talked to other people that are coming into the country and, what a great resource to have you navigate that in your firm. And then lastly, I just love this question. The three fun, most unexpected facts about you. And I loved your answer that one of the, one of the most fun things that you've done is lead your team and lead your people. Let's hear a little bit about that. 
Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I've been a lawyer for 13 years, 14 years or something like that, but I did not become a people manager uh, until 2019. And it took some getting used to, you know, it was kind of a, a process by which I realized, okay, so I have some authority or discretion or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And when that started to kind of sink in, I realized that I was, I don't know, um, I realized I was actually in a position where I could really prevent people from having the type of negative experiences mm. that I had, you know, throughout the course of my career, just, you know, as a woman, as a, as a woman of color. And I think when that sunk in, um, I kind of made a promise to myself that, you know, the people on my team would never have to experience the things that I experienced. And I think that's the thing that I'm the most proud of, you know, um, the team that I have the honor of working with, as well as the fact that, you know, our firm is so committed to awareness, diversity, inclusion, equity, and just having the conversation, you know? Um, and that I think has probably been the single most rewarding thing um, for me in the last two, three years. Yeah. You know, one of the books I read, one of probably the best books I've read on leadership is uh, Developing Your Leader Within by John mm -hmm. Maxwell. And he's just a, um, an advocate on if you don't love who you're working with and you don't love who you're leading, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, and the culture has really changed. I agree. I mean, people are having conversations that I would have never fathomed, you know, would take place in the workplace. And I think there's still a very long way to go, mm -hmm. but I think the fact that those conversations are taking place is such a positive step in the right direction. You know, uh, awareness is key. So I find that to be really encouraging. Well, it's amazing what you've done in, in 13 years. And, you know, I can really feel your passion. And I'm also looking forward to seeing you in Chicago. You're coming to our conference. I, I, I am coming to your conference, <laughs> travel restrictions permitting. So yeah, I can't wait. That's true. That's true. We didn't really touch upon how, how much COVID has challenged things and boy, no one can predict what's next, but it's really also great to have you as an advocate for that here at the association. Yeah, we are, we had a great event. We had no no co post-COVID cases, oh, zero. That's great. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we we were very fortunate. We're having the same event August, I want to say 23rd is our main day, full of sessions. And I think you've also put in a request to potentially speak if we have a legal panel. 
If we haven't, you should. If you haven't, you should. <laughs> the conference. Okay. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a great topic to speak on um, immigration. We, we just, you know, we are a, a very, very global industry, period. Yeah, yeah. The Esports Trade Association has a national focus, but we have um, international members joining all the time. Sure. So... And it's it's been really informative to have you here. Is there anything more that you would like to share about Ericsson, your firm? I, we didn't really cover um, Ericsson Immigration Group, but if you'd like to share a little bit about the firm and yourself. Um, uh, sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. Hmm. So the firm is a it's a exclusively immigration law firm. We focus on employment based immigration. We represent, you know, some very cool clients in a diverse range of industries that we're very, very proud to work with. We uh, have, you know, colleagues around the world, Dublin, Singapore, Australia, uh, London, Mexico City. I hope I'm not (laughs) forgetting any locations and, you know, just knock on wood, a great, great group of people who are super committed to mm. the clients, to doing a good job, um, who really care, you know, about the uh, service that's being provided. Um, and that is kind of what inspires me on a day-to-day basis. We are headquartered in Washington, D.C., <laughs> so it's very cold outside. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Hiba. It's just a pleasure to have you and have your firm joining our association, a big welcome. And if anybody wants to reach you, what are your handles? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Hibba Anver. Um, if you wanna find me on Twitter, it's at Hibs A, so at H-I-B-Z-A. And then my work email address is Hibba at eiglaw.com. It's H-I-B-A, so just Hibba at eiglaw.com. <laughs> Well, hit her up and thank you so much. (laughs) It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Megan. You're welcome.